We have <clears throat> been spending our time on, in January on Sunday nights in the first chapter of James. And what we are doing there is looking at how to have authentic faith. How can we have uh, the faith that God wants us to have, a real faith, especially in trials uh, and especially in suffering. We have noticed over the past few weeks that James began by telling us that uh, we go through trials and that God is using trials in order to make us mature and complete, lacking in nothing. God is telling us we are lacking and we need refinement. And so let steadfastness have its perfect work. Let it accomplish what it's intended as we go through the trial. We were told also by James that we need to pray for wisdom. In the midst of our difficulties and hardships, pray to God for wisdom who gives generously and without reproach. What we need the most in hard times is wisdom for direction. How should we go? Where should we go? And we turn to God for that. Third, he told us how to look at our temptations, especially in trials. Temptations are very challenging. It is easy to want to give up on God and to just cave into your desires and want to no longer serve God in those ways. And he reminds us that temptations are not given to us from God. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor can he tempt anyone. And then he gets to the the root of the problem that though God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, Our temptations ultimately come from within us because it is tempting our desires. And so sin and temptations tell us that there are internal heart problems that need to be addressed. And that really flows into this next paragraph very appropriately, as now James is going to talk about the problem of anger. I suppose that Anger is worth talking about under all circumstances, but anger can certainly be even greater challenge in the midst of trials. And we're going to talk about anger on two directions. We're going to talk about it horizontally and vertically. Sometimes we only think about anger of being angry at other people. But when things are hard, you can also get pretty vertical with your anger and be upset at God about why are things happening this way? What is going on? This doesn't make sense. It's not fair. And so we're going to talk about it in both directions, about how we look at our anger in regards to one another, as well as our anger toward God. Now, before we get into talking about anger, I think it's important to uh, take maybe a moment of, of of honesty here to talk about about anger, and that is sometimes we can have the tendency to point to anger and go, "Well, I know what what anger is, and so and so they're a really angry person because you know they have outbursts and they yell and they scream and they slam things, and when they get angry, boy, it's just a, a display." And I don't have an anger problem because I don't act like that. And sometimes we can only put anger in the realm of an outburst of wrath, as if that's all the problem of anger. And for some people, that is their personality, that there is this overflow of action and words that that happens. But that doesn't mean that you don't have an anger problem. Uh, Anger is also observed in malice toward other people. 
that your heart goes, boy, I am just seething. (laughs) And you may not say anything or do anything, but inside of you, your heart is twisting around and wanting them dead. Or even more interesting is that sometimes the way we approach anger is, oh, well, I don't yell and scream, but I'm never going to talk to them again. (laughs) You give them the cold shoulder, you ignore them, uh, you, you just go, well, I'm just going to ice them out completely, as if that's not coming off of anger. And we can think that we're so holier than thou because, oh, no, I didn't slam a door or scream. Uh, I just completely ruined them with my silence. And, And so I want us to be real with anger and understand that just because you have different forms of how it's expressed than others doesn't mean that there is not an issue within us that we need to truly consider. So you'll notice in James chapter 1 and in verse 19, you have James beginning to address this. And James 1 and verse 19, he says there, understand this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I think this is uh, an interesting beginning point to just say, Everyone needs to be quick to listen, and they need to be slow to speak, and they need to be slow to anger. Uh, And I think it's important to see that James is telling us that the way to move in the right direction as a Christian in holiness toward God is to be a listener. And I think that's an important aspect, even in talking about the problem of anger, That if we are going to be able to get our hands around the problem of anger, one of the things that God is telling us to do very much right out of the gate is we need to be listeners. We need to be willing to listen to people. We need to be willing to hear what they're saying. I kind of wonder, I would speculate the percentage. You you can speculate it in your mind. How much anger is misplaced because we didn't listen to what the other person was saying and we misunderstood? How often we're just not listening to what somebody has to say. And that's probably really bad in our society right now because we just don't listen to anybody. We just yell back at them and I'm not going to hear what you're going. I know what you think. And so we don't even give people a chance to even express themselves and to say what they what they think about things. We are not quick to listen. One of the reasons why that's hard is That takes a lot of humility. Listening takes humility because it's easy for us to, when somebody's talking, think about all the things you're going to say next and not really listen to what the other person is saying. Your mind is somewhere else. You're already going somewhere else in the conversation. You've already traveled somewhere else and they're going on and on and on. And then, you know, sometimes they'll catch you, right? Are you even listening? <laughs> well, actually, I was running the whole conversation already over here, and I wasn't thinking about the things you were saying. We need to be quick to listen, and that truly does take humility to genuinely listen. And answer this question honestly for yourself, that if you were to take a poll of people who know you, people in this room, your friends, your family, would they be willing to say that you are a good listener? Do you listen in that kind of way? Because that's where James is starting. Before we can get anywhere in talking about anger, he just starts off with, are you a listener? Are you a good listener? Do you listen to what people have to say? And do you hear really what what they're trying to communicate? 
And so this is, I think, one of the most important things we can begin to start with in talking about anger is that we first need to just listen carefully and not draw conclusions too quickly. And that controlling anger can certainly be affected by less talking and more listening. That's what James just starts with. We need to talk a whole lot less and certainly listen a whole lot, lot more. I would also, as I mentioned, is I also want to think about this in a vertical level as well, is that when we're in trials, this context has told us that God is talking to us through trials. He is saying we are lacking. He is trying to make us mature and complete. And so let steadfastness have its perfect work. And our trials then are a way for God to try to get us to listen, to see the weaknesses, to see our our areas of challenge and problem and temptation. And so here is a, a way for us to think about Are we willing to listen to what God is telling us about who we are as we get exposed by trials, which fascinatingly enough, Lord willing, next week, what's he going to tell us about a mirror that exposes these things? He's going to he's going there in this very sequence that God is using these trials to show us who we are. And sometimes we just don't want to listen to that. We, we don't want to see the, no, no, I don't have any problems. I'm fine. This is all God's fault. This is all somebody else's fault. We want to blow the blame everywhere else, but simply square it upon ourselves. That certainly isn't what we're going to do. And so in trials, we can often have a quick rebuttal to God and say, I don't understand. I want to argue with God. He's not doing me right. Now, you might remember there is somebody in scriptures who ultimately forgot this, this idea and not wanting to listen to what God was trying to say. In uh, the book of Job is a great example of that, where Job has an awful lot to say about what God is doing and how God is wrong in this and how he needs to have essentially a a stand before God. And in doing so, he'd be vindicated and be able to show that uh, this is all incorrect. And, And when you get to the end of everything that Job and the three friends said, and then Elihu says, and then God says, I want you to think about what Job says at the end of it all. In Job 40 and verse 3, Then Job answered the Lord, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not reply twice. And now I can add nothing. I have said things I shouldn't have said. I was talking and I shouldn't have been talking. There's a lot of things that Job lays at the feet of God that he comes to the end and says, I really wish I hadn't said that. I wish I would have been quick to listen to what God was trying to teach me in the trial and not so quick to talk back at God about how he's messing it up and how it's all wrong and how it's unfair. And Job does that throughout throughout the book. At the very end, again, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that conceals my counsel with ignorance? I love that. Remember, God asked the question, who out here is challenging my wisdom and knowledge about how I'm running the show? 
Who's going to say that I'm not doing this right? So who said, who, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand. Things too wondrous for me to know. You know, that I should have listened. I was talking and I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know what I was talking about, about myself, about God, about the circumstances. You said, listen now when I will speak and I, when I question you, you will inform me. I have heard the reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. You know, I just want us to think about in our times of, of anger, whether toward each other or toward God, how this would all stand as we come before God on the day of judgment. And I suppose we would reject our words and despise ourselves for the things that we have said about how God runs the world or how God is running our lives or how things are unfolding or the things that we don't like. And that's what Job comes to the conclusion. He goes, now I, I, I said a lot of things, but now I have a better understanding that I should have said any of those things. And so here is James telling us that there is the need then to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And then he also says in verse 19 that we need to be slow to anger. And I want you to notice the reason why in verse 20. We need to be slow to anger. He says, because human anger is not producing the righteousness that God wants. We should let that rest on us for a minute. Our anger is not taking us in the right direction. It's taking us the wrong way. If human anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God, then what our anger is doing is actually destroying our souls. It's taking us the wrong way. It is not pushing us closer to God, even though we like to think in our anger, oh, this is, you know, excellent justice and righteousness on display. That's why I'm so angry. And James says that's not the case. It's not producing the righteousness that ultimately God wants us to have. And I want us to think about that picture for a minute. Just take a moment and run through the New Testament for a minute. And where do you see Jesus telling us to be angry disciples? You know, just, you know, go around and be angry disciples. That's fine. You know, that represents me really well. Be angry disciples. You don't see that. And so I think we need to consider that anger not producing the righteousness of God, it doesn't reflect God in any way, but rather reflects a, a selfishness. And certainly, as we think about it vertically, we don't have a right to think that we can be angry with God. We think we're going to stand before God and vindicate ourselves about, about being angry with what he's doing with our lives and the circumstances that we are facing. Because ultimately, if we are angry at God, what we are saying is that God is wrong. We're telling him he's wrong. And that can't be right. <laughs> yeah, obviously, he can't be wrong. And yet we are boldly exclaiming in our anger, God, you are wrong and I know everything that is right. And what God is trying to express to us is that we need to see that our anger is typically built on selfishness and not producing the righteousness that God desires. Think about how the Proverbs 
uh, describe this. Listen to the, 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 the wisdom of the Proverbs. In Proverbs 29 and in verse 11, the proverb writer says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. I think we live in a society that says a wise person gives full vent to their anger. You know, just let them have it. They need to know what you think. Give them a piece of your mind. And notice that God says a fool does that. A fool vents their anger. A fool expresses it all. And I want you to notice that this is exactly what James, I think, means by being slow to anger. Is the proverb writer is saying, hold it in check. Yeah, you've got the emotion. Yeah, you're upset. Yeah, you feel all that. But that doesn't mean you have to do something about it. Whether you're venting it in an outburst of wrath or cold shouldering and doing whatever you're doing or having malice, that's not the righteousness of God. That is foolish behavior, not wise behavior. Same with Proverbs 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But the one who has a hasty temper exalts folly. What a picture. The the person who is slow to anger gets it. (laughs) They have the right spiritual insight. But the person who doesn't is a fool and is described as, as a fool. And so ultimately, wisdom is found in listening. And I want us just to hear that what here James is telling us is our anger is not wisdom. Our anger is not righteous, and our anger is not bringing us closer to God. It's not wise, it's not right, and it's not taking us the right way. That's how James wants us to perceive the issue. We so easily vindicate our anger. It's everybody else's fault, and I was right. And that's why I can say what I say, do what I do, or be how I am. And I just want us to hear God's words when we feel those angry moments and we're tempted to to use that anger, to hear God saying, your anger is not wise, your anger is not right, and your anger is not bringing you closer to God. It's taking you further from him. So that's James' first picture. And now in verse 21, you're going to notice that James is going to have the solution. Here, I want to solve anger problems. And I think it is surprising what James says. You'll notice verse 21 begins with the word, therefore. This is the conclusion we're supposed to draw from this. So we're not in a new paragraph or a new idea. We are talking about the problem of anger. And he's saying, now therefore, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God wants, here's what I want you to do. Verse 21. Therefore, Ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I think this is an interesting point that he makes because James is doing an an amazing job at trying to tell us that we need to get under the problem, to get underneath the sin, to be able to pull it out by the roots. And we have seen in our studies so far, and he's observing it here again, that our temptations and our sins are pointing to bigger problems within us. And I think that's really important to see. 
He said that earlier. Remember, he doesn't say sin is your problem. Remember, it is actually the evil desires are what give birth to sin and then sin gives birth to death. And we go out and attack at the sin. But James goes, no, no, that's symptomatic still of the evil desires that are within us. Here he does the same thing. Notice he says in talking about anger that the solution, he says, is to get rid of all the moral filth and prevalent evil. Is that not surprising? He doesn't say, well, here's what you need to do. You need to get rid of all the people in your life who make you upset so that you won't get upset anymore. You need to just surround yourself with people who make you feel good. You need to surround yourself with a bunch of yes people who always say yes to everything you ever say, think, or do. He doesn't say that. Notice he says the anger problem is not other people. Oh, boy. How we want to say it's everybody else. He says the anger problem, that tells us that there's filth inside. That's what he just said. Therefore, get rid of the moral filth and the prevalent evil. We got to get rid of that from ourselves. Anger problem says, I have an issue inside of me. I have a heart problem. I have evil desires. I have moral filth that needs to be addressed. The issue is not the anger. The anger is symptomatic of a deeper problem. The deeper problem is that there is moral filth growing within us that is not being dealt with. And in the process, we're blaming everybody else for our anger when instead it's something deep within us. I can't remember the last time I used this illustration with you. But if you imagined sitting on the table right there in front of you, I had a a big pitcher full of nasty, gross, dirty water filled all the way to the brim, right, right up to the top. And somebody comes by and bumps it. So all that grossness just comes flying out. And you're like, oh, there's that gross water all over the place. Is the problem really the other person bumping the table as to why there's such grossness everywhere or the fact that you completely have a gross cup sitting there? You know, we want to blame somebody bumped the table. That's that's the problem. No, the problem is you have a gross heart. And yeah, people are going to bump you all the time. And there needs to be pure water coming out rather than the sewage that was in the cup. That's the picture that's being given here. Ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. There is a picture here of telling us that we need to look inside and figure out why we have the anger problem. All right. Now step back for a minute. Honesty time. I bet if we took a poll, most of us would say, I don't have an anger problem. (laughs) I'm doing just fine. I don't have any anger issues whatsoever. And so I think if that is something that is in your mind, you say, I I don't have an anger issue. I want to challenge you to do something today, tomorrow. I want you to ask the people close to you. I would like for you to ask your children. Do you have a problem with anger? I'd like for you to ask your spouse. I'd like for you to ask your parents. 
or ask your close friends and give them the authority to say so. Because if you're an angry person that scares people with your anger, guess what they're all going to say? Oh, no, you don't have an anger problem because they're afraid of you. So you're going to have to give them the authority and say, I'm not going to go crazy on you. I really want to know, do I have an anger problem? Tell me so that I can address that. It is important that we get real about this issue because it's so easy to sit back and go, I don't have an anger problem. It's just, you know, a rare flare up here and there. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. There's a reason why this text is sitting here in the very first chapter, that anger is certainly a problem and an issue. And so he tells us to understand the anger problem, look inside. What is wrong inside? What moral filth are we harboring? What evil is prevalent that is there that is bringing this out of us? That is the cause of the anger. And notice second in verse 21, he says, and humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. This should remind us of that parable of the sower that we looked at not too long ago on Sunday morning where you see Jesus pictured as a sower casting seed and there is the imagery of letting the seed sink down deep into our hearts. And notice that's what he says has to happen. If we want to be able to deal with the anger problem, and I would like to, as an aside, as a parenthesis go, and this is true of any sin, this is true of any sin, get rid of the moral filth and evil that's prevalent and humbly receive the implanted word. You need to let the word of God do its work within you. You must let it transform you. There is no other way No magic wand, no magic pills, no other solution for overcoming sin and temptation except honestly identifying what's the moral filth in my life and letting the word of God change who you are. There is no other answer. There is no other magic. There is no magazine at the grocery store counter that's going to accurately do this. This is the answer. You must let the word of God get into your life so it begins to transform you. That is the solution that James is putting forward. We need to let the word of God be allowing to completely transform us. Now think about this. If the only time we are ever in the word of God is two hours a week, three hours a week, there's 167 167 hours you have in a week. And if you give the word of God two, how much transformation is going to happen? Or let's say you're, you're a brave Christian. Four hours a week, you're here every time. How much transformation is really going to happen? Four out of 167. That's not going to happen. You have to be in the word. And you have to let it change you. You have to let it sink in. You have to let it expose the the gruesomeness of what's inside and be honest with it and allow it to change who you ultimately are. One of the things that I think is so important for us to do is to ultimately just get rid of all excuses. I know that 
I could blame all kinds of external environments for why so much of my early life was anger problems. I could say, well, you know, if all that you ever saw in a household was a divorcing family who are fighting, yelling, screaming, that's, that's all you ever saw for a childhood. I mean, that was mine. That's all I got uh, until they finally broke apart at nine. And then they still weren't uh, amicable to each other even after that. They were just at each other, at each other. At, that's all you ever saw. How easy it is, is it for you to use environment to go, well, that's the reason why. Uh, the reason why I'm an angry person is because you don't know what my past is. Or one of our favorites that we like to do. Well, you know, in our culture, we yell. In our family, that's how we communicate. We just scream at each other. We like to make excuses. Instead of seeing that what God is saying, instead of blaming others, and instead of in blaming environment or blaming culture, at the end of the day, we need to take charge of our character and stop making excuses and let the word of God change us. That's the only way it's going to happen. And as long as we like to put it on somebody else and go, well, I just never saw how relationships are supposed to go right. Yeah, I hear you. I know. I got you. I'm with you. No idea. (laughs) Figuring it out on the fly. (laughs) Gotcha. That doesn't mean that we don't let the word of God take us that direction. That's what James is telling us, that the anger of, uh, of humanity is not accomplishing God's righteousness. So get rid of the things in our lives that are causing us to be that way. And we are, I think one of the great things of hope that you see in verses 19 through 21 is that James does not say, all right, human anger is not accomplishing the the righteousness of God. But you know what? If you had a bad upbringing, you're doomed. You know, that just, it's just, just stinks for you. You know, I guess you're always going to be an angry person and ruin every relationship that you've ever had. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He doesn't say if you, you, you had a bad environment or, or you have these character flaws or you have the tendency to anger because that's just the way you are. He doesn't say, well, I guess that's the way you are. He says, you can do something about this. There is a way to deal with this. We can purge the evil that's in us and we can let the word of God change us to be the people that he wants us to be. We don't have to stay that way. And you probably know people in your life who've done that. You probably know people who have made those kinds of radical transformations, who've gone from a character, personality flaw, whatever it is about them, and that God has radically changed them over time. That's what James is saying that we can do in solving the anger problem. So let's wrap up the lesson with with this summary of what we can do to have faith when angry. Number one, we need to be listeners. We just need to listen. Be a people that listen. Work hard at being a listener. Be a listener in such a way so that someone come, would come up to you and say, you're a good listener. That is a, an astounding compliment. Uh, I, I had that when I was in a gospel meeting and this, this, this woman was just pouring out her soul to me. And, I, and just, you know, obviously you don't know the church. You don't know these people. You're getting to know them in the week that you're there. And she just blurted out all of a sudden. She just looked at me cross and she goes, you're a good listener. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) I guess that's good. Uh, Okay, great. And I took that to heart. I thought I need to do that all the time. 
I need to make sure I'm doing that with everybody. What a great thing that somebody can say to you. You're, you're, you listen well. You're paying attention to what I'm saying and you really care. Be quick to listen to others and, and be quick to listen to God. When, when we're hurting, God's talking. And sometimes we don't want to listen to what he's saying about who we are or what God is trying to change in us. Number two, let's be slow to speak to others. We should say others. We should be slow to speak to others. We, we should think about our words carefully. Jesus tells us as well as Paul that we need to be thoughtful about what we say. Jesus says we'll be judged by every careless word. The apostle Paul tells us that we need to speak words that are gracious, seasoned with salt. That requires thinking through effort, care, tact. Uh, you don't have to say what's on the top of your head. Hold those things back. Be slow to speak. And be careful about what you say to God. In any time of trial, be careful about what you're charging him with. About how he, what he's doing in our lives. Number three, let's be slow to anger. When, when we feel anger, let this verse come into your mind. If I act upon this, that's not producing God's righteousness. That's not taking me the way I should go. And when we fail, let that ring in our heads. That was not what God wanted. That was not producing the righteousness that God wanted in me. That was a failure on our part. Number four, when we fail at anger, let it show us that there is more moral filth that needs to be removed. It is such an interesting phrase to say, and the, the prevalent evil. You know, he's writing to Christians. And he says, this overflow of evil and moral filth that's within you, you need to get rid of. We go, wait a minute, I don't, I'm not overflowing with evil. And James goes, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. You certainly are. Anger reveals that there is filth within us that still needs to be purged. So let that be a warning flag to us. With anger, I've got to deal with more that's in me. I've got to work even harder. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep working. There's more that needs to be purged out of my heart. And fine, I need more time in the word. I need to let the word of God change me. And not, I need more time in the word like you're reading like five chapters a day kind of. I mean, like slow down. And let it sink in and let it do its work and let it change you and be reflective and consider what God's trying to, to do for us to make us the people that God wants us to be. The good news is, one, we don't have to be angry people anymore. We can be the people that God wants us to be. And the good news is God forgives us for our anger failures of the past and pushes us forward to do better as we Purge more of the evil that's in us and become more of what God wants us to be. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this very important teaching. And Lord, I pray that we would be honest about how we are as people and that we would be honest about how we deal with our anger. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the areas of weakness, help us to see those flaws, help us to see when we have used our anger in sinful ways, 
and that we have not been moving toward the righteousness that you want us to have. And Lord, I pray that you would just ring something in our ears to remind us of what James told us, to remind us that our anger is not right, and to remind us that there is more work that needs to be done in our hearts when we use anger as a way to be able to be selfish, to try to get our way, to cause others to do what we want, to manipulate others, or any other kind of sinful outcome, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our anger. Forgive us for when we have been angry and we have had outbursts of wrath. Forgive us for when we've been malicious. Forgive us for when we have been cold and hard-hearted toward others. Forgive us for using our anger in a way like that, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would use more of our time to let your word sink into our hearts so that we could be transformed into the people that you want us to be. So Lord, help us to remove anger from our lives. Help us to be slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak, and transform us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll sing an invitation song to you tonight. If we can help you in any way to come to Jesus, to turn away from your sins, uh, we'd love to help you do that. And if there are sins in your life that are, are holding you back, that we can in any way help you in praying for you and giving you direction, Dan and I are here for that. We would love to help you in any way. Just, just let us know afterward, or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.